August 2, 2021. It's a lot from Pedro Show.
nightmares are never ending and despair is taking hold when there's nothing left worth defending you keep on tumbling down the hole you keep on tumbling Keep on tumbling down the hole. You keep on tumbling down the for Pedro Show. Happy Monday. Started off with Congo Blues. This was a 1951 radio broadcast, people, right? 70 years ago. Probably John Coltrane's first recording. It was with Dizzy Gillespie's. Gillespie. Come on, what? Get together. Dizzy Gillespie's, man. Okay, and after that we had Tumbling Down the Hole. Tom Adams in the last resort. Speaking of which, thanks to John and Miss Melvis of the uh, duo decibel system in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, for making the most righteous connect. Because of those Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention, I got Brother Tom Adams aboard. Welcome aboard, Tom. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, likewise, we want to thank uh, John and Miss Melvis, right? Oh, absolutely. They are the best. They're my uh, in my top two or three favorite bands in Cleveland, and I have to kind of say that, right? <laughs> well, well, how far back you go with them? I've known John since uh, he approached me after I was uh, per- I gave a performance, and uh, then of course I went to the bar to have a drink. And he came up to me. I'd, I'd seen him perform with Slap and a couple of other uh, projects around, but I never knew him, you know. And he walked up to me and said, hey, you're an artist. I would pay to see you. And so, you know, obviously that was a friendship right there. <laughs> and that was back in, nine, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2011, I want to say, 2011, 2012, somewhere around ago. there. Okay, okay. I want to go back further because uh, uh, I'm curious about your journey through music, Tom. Please bring your earliest musical recollection that you still got. My well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, the the earliest musical story I have, I'll just start you with. Uh, my mother tells me that when I was about one and a half years old, when she'd uh, put me down for my nap in my playpen, and when I'd wake up uh, instead of crying to let her know I was uh, uh, awake, like the other kids did, I would sing "Lonely as a Man Without Love" by Engelbert Humperdinck which was uh, on the radio at the time. So I guess Engelbert was my first musical love. Uh, after that, I just, uh, I grew up uh, in the 70s, listening to AM radio, everything ranging from disco to electric light orchestra and, and stuff like that. And then I discovered the Beatles. Uh, and the Beatles led to the Stones, who led to the Who and the, to the Doors, and eventually to Bowie and Robert Fripp and Brian Eno. And then, of course, uh, the Sex Pistols hit. And then uh, everything changed. Uh, the Minutemen, uh, uh, which you might know something about, a was bit, uh, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, and um, so, you know, I, I went through high school uh, as a listener, and I just collected tons and tons of records. Never imagined uh, playing uh, it, when I was growing up, at least in my school. Like I was in Detroit, Southfield specifically. Um, you know, to say, oh, I want to play rock or be a rock star is kind of like saying, I want to be the incredible Hulk. So um, I uh, uh, just never even imagined it. And then um, I played in a garage band when I moved to Ohio, uh, a band called Expando Headbando. And uh, that didn't last too long, but but we always had a good energy, you know, like we could attract a crowd. Okay, you were playing guitar? No, I was just singing. Oh, you're just a singer. Okay, because I was going to ask, both in Ohio and Michigan, in the pad you grew up, were there any musical instruments? Uh, there, uh, there was a piano. Did you did you jump on it? I did. I jumped on it a lot when I was a little boy. My grandmother said that I would play along with her just by listening to her and watching her play, but like an octave up or whatever, you know. Okay. Uh, and what about the yeah. what, what about about the ordeal with lessons? Did you go through that? I went through that for a while, and then I just stopped and literally. For uh, from the age of like eight to ten, music really didn't have anything to do with my life, and then I discovered the Beatles. But do you think that piano lesson taken experience was kind of a negative experience? Probably because it put me off of it. Yeah, I yeah. Because you said you you bring it out of your life for ten years. And this is after you fucking were learning how to sing Engelbert as a two year old and jumping on the piano and playing with your grandma, and then you just leave it alone. Until a Beatles record. So the, the, the first record, the first record you bought with your own money, Tom. First record I bought with my own money. 
uh, was probably a, a, it was a, a a collection of Beatles songs uh, called Love Songs. Okay, came out about 1977. Beautiful faux leather, uh, you know, uh, binding and everything. Uh, what about and, the, and what about the first gig you saw? The first gig I saw was probably Queen. Okay, can I ask you about school? Were you in the choir, or the marching band, or shit like that? Nothing like that. I was out smoking. Okay, okay. I was the boys' room at Brownsville Station. Exactly. And if I wasn't, I was in hell in, in class. My teachers hated me. I got F minuses regularly. That you is know what? One of the lyrics, I mean, we ain't heard the song yet, but you gave me a song. You said the teachers hated you because you would not learn their name. Yeah. <laughs> I, I that lyric stuck with me, Tom. When I was, when I was a kid... I moved from a really impoverished neighborhood. My mom remarried, and they moved me to an upper-scale neighborhood. We, we moved from Hazel Park, which was kind of like a biker neighborhood, to uh, Southfield, which was an upper-middle-class neighborhood at the time. I don't know what it's like now. But um, I didn't fit in well at all. And I got picked on all the time. Like, I was like the low, total, uh, you know, like the, the kid with the leg braces would kick me and beat me up, you know. <laughs> it's like that, you know. And, uh, when, by the time I got to junior high, I figured out that it was actually the teachers, that the teachers were signaling to the students that I was open game. So what I did... I had, I, took, I had trouble with that shit, too, in junior high. Uh, yep, and I took the war to the teachers, which, which it was twofold. One, the teacher learned, don't mess with this kid. He'll make your life a living hell. The other thing it did is scared enough fuck out of these kids well you had balls like church bell because i was afraid i had an electric shop teacher mr patterson he was convinced yeah. every time he turned his back i was making fun of him but then it happened again in, in college with some uh teachers uh kind of yeah like you said gave the signal to the other students it's okay this guy is wrong right what kind of fucking shit is that i i actually went into one of these guys office and told him i said what kind of shit is this I could see if I couldn't defend myself as a teenager, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a young man now, and I could see right. what's going on. And fuck, wow, that's a trip, Tom. Uh, it is. Look, you Those gave me uh, you gave me this song, "The Wind Blows Low." Yeah, yeah. It sure, fucking does. Let's listen. I'm 
We argued on the Channel train to Paris. The Van Rouge helped us make it sweet again. But by the time that we got down to Lyon, 
Everything I said was wrong And you cursed me in the rain We split up for a while in Barcelona We met up six days later in Madrid I was hoping that the break would make things go a little better for us And for a little while it almost did Now I'm in a bar in Copenhagen And I'm trying hard to forget your name And I'm staring at the label on a bottle of cerveza And every fucking city feels the same Said to call you when I got to London A French girl told me that you'd left a note I said to her I like your accent And she thought I sounded funny So we ended up drinking in Soho Foolishly I followed you to Dublin Like a ghost I walked the streets of Temple Bar And all the bright young things were throwing up their Guinness in the gutters And once I thought I saw you from afar Now I'm in a nightclub in Helsinki And they're playing La Vida Loca once again And I can't believe I'm dancing to this crap But I'm a chance here And every fucking city sounds the same At a cafe in the port of Amsterdam An email from you said you'd gone to Rome For a minute I thought maybe But my funds were running low And anyway it sounded like you weren't alone So I headed north until I got to Hamburg A chilly city suits a troubled soul And on the Reaper barn I paid a woman far too much to kick me out Before I'd even reached my goal Now I'm in a restaurant in Stockholm And the waiter here wants me to know his name And I can order sandwiches in seven different languages But every fucking city looks the same Arrivederci, au revoir, auf Wiedersehen, hasta la vista, baby Every fucking city's just the same
just like a disease Transmitted through the breeze At first it feels a Pedro Show. That's Tom Adams in the last resort with The Wind Blows Low. Started that chunk of music. Then we had Thomas Prendon, Andy Warhol. And it ain't Andy's name. Maybe it is. Warhola. Nah, he had a. 
he dropped that eighth, but this got to eat. So uh, the the ancient of seconds from Variant working tears with Lotus every fucking city. Well, Paul Kelly live, Sam Lock Ward featuring Dean Clean. Vote your fear. <laughs> Fuck you, Bob Bucko Jr. Go to places. Both both these cats are Iowa. Uh, Lagoon Monster Rubber Mass Part B3 from Bronze Age UFO out of Baltimore. And finally, The Crimes I've Committed, Tom Adams in the Last Resort. So you get in this garage band while you're still in school as a singer. How'd that happen, Tom? Um, I just bluffed my way in. Uh, you know, when, when I was in, in Southfield, uh, we did like a lot of acid-fueled music with some of the kids in the high school. But, you know, and made recordings of them. But they were awful. You know, I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just messing around. And uh, so I just uh, there was some band called uh, I don't even know what they called themselves at the time, uh, but uh, they needed a singer. And I said, well, I sing and I don't I didn't know if I could or not. I just told them I could. Uh, so they auditioned me. You, you should have told them about the Engelbert Humperdinck shit. <laughs> I might have. <laughs> I drank a lot back then, you know, so I <laughs> who knows what I told them. Uh, but uh, managed to bluff my way into the band. And uh, it was fun because, you know, we had. Uh, there were other bands uh, around that, you know, they were just garage bands, too, but they had better instruments. You know, they, they were better, as it were, you know, like they were more accomplished musicians and they had names like Distant Thunder and stuff like that. And we were like Expando Headbando, which was a whole different attitude. And this is Westlake, Ohio in 1983, just to give you a picture. And um, uh, um I remember distinctly, we opened for these guys and we did a set and everybody was in, in this house. It was at a party. Yeah. We did this. And then uh, Distant Thunder came up and everybody left and went out to the keg. And I just figured, well, everyone's getting you know beers or whatever. But they stayed out there. And then when it became our set, we started playing. As soon as we started playing, phew, the house filled right back up. So that was my first taste of that kind of like, ooh, like if you get in with the right energy, you can really kind of move move things, you know. And what kind of stuff was Expando Headbando playing? All oh, the worst stuff imaginable. It no, was, what uh, I mean, what I mean is, smoke on the what, water. What, what give, me, uh, give me three steps. Okay, so you were copying. You guys weren't doing original material. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, I, again, I, it hadn't even occurred to me to write uh, until years later, uh, about 1989. So, how long are you with Expando Headbando? Just a couple of years. Which, uh, when you're young, seems like a long oh, time. Oh, yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like a really long time. But, you know, it, when you're young and you're stupid and you just got ego and you don't understand each other, you can't communicate. Yeah, you know, it just, it's so hard to keep it together. Yeah, of course. And, well, you, it's called living a life. And you got to yeah. start some. You, you don't jump on the skateboard and start pulling ollies. Okay, what, about, what about, did you start to develop songwriting? No, what I did was, after that ended... I didn't do anything. What I did was I drank a lot, went to parties and, and made people laugh. Like I do like these raunchy comedy, like, you know, a la 1980s, like it was. And uh, people got to know me that way. And I started thinking, you know, I really don't uh, want to be known as like a clown. Uh, so, you know, so one day, you know, I had this crush on this girl who didn't know I was alive. And if she did, she would think I was creepy. Uh, so, you know, I, I uh, uh, just thought, you know, I heard some. I was listening to college radio and I don't even know who the band was or what the song was, but this guy was really like tearing his heart out, you know, like he was really like expressing himself, like something that actually happened to him. 
And I thought, boy, I wish I could do that. And I said, you can do that. I said, well, I don't have a band. I don't, you know, I'm stuck here. I was, I, was, I didn't have a car. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have cable. They didn't have the internet. And uh, so I was kind of stuck just working and going home, you know. And uh, uh, I said, you can write. So I became a poet. And through the 90s, I wrote poetry. That's what I did. I, I put out, I published. Tom, do you remember the first poem you wrote? Uh, yeah, vaguely. Uh, it was really bad. And the first poems that I wrote, uh, you know, that here's the funny thing. I thought, you know, I had something more deep inside me that I could express. Yeah. Uh, my first, I don't know, 30 or 40 poems were basically variations of the world is all a stage and we are merely players. Ah, a little Shakespeare. Well, that's all it was. Like every single thing I wrote was a different way of saying that. And I said, I guess that's all I got to say. That's it. No, you know? Look, I think whether you did it on purpose or not, you stumbled on a very fundamental truth. Well, yeah, but it's it's very, you know, I, I just had to find my own voice, which took me a long time. Right, right. And right. my own thing to say, which, you know, did. But I did. And for a decade, I did that until 1999 when I teamed up with this guy, Dick Hearn. And uh, we formed a band, or not a band, but a project called Trenchcoat Manifesto, which was spoken word, uh, music, rhythmic, multimedia performance art. And that's where we started. That's where the music really started. At first, we were going to put my poems to music. And after doing that to one or two poems, we abandoned that and started writing poems for the music. And writing poems specifically for it. And what happened there was because of the music, my whole writing flowered. Like all of a sudden I was like writing like way over the level that I was writing before. So when this thing wound down um, uh, and the, the project uh, broke up for a while, for about five years, I was kind of like, I don't want to go back to just writing poetry, though there's nothing wrong with writing poetry. I wanted to do music and live performance. And so I bought my first guitar at the tender age of 40 and uh, taught myself how to play it. Oh, bitch. Yeah. So I, I thought if I could, you know, I was listening to a lot of Johnny Cash. I still do. That was my first record was Johnny Cash's greatest hits. Uh, they bought it for me when I was four years old. Uh, because uh, he had a TV show on at the time. And even though I was real small, I told everyone to shut up and sit down for the whole hour that he was on because no one could make any noise while the man in black was doing his thing, which is pretty funny, actually. Now I look back on it, that was a great show. So yeah, a lot of fucking good guests, and you usually would do a duet with them. Yup, uh, you know, so apparently I had good taste, but I still have that record scratched up and everything, but I, I cannot get rid of yeah, it. Yeah, but you bring him up because you like the simple way he played guitar? Yes, and that's what I said to myself. I thought if I could just go ding, digga, ding, digga, ding, digga, yeah. ding, something like that, I could write to that. And that's where it started. Well, you know, when he started, he had a band. It was actually a bass and another guitar. I think they were called the Tennessee Two. Yeah. Yeah. And so, then and then they became the Tennessee Three, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was falling out. I mean, I've seen some stuff that, like everything human, there's sometimes uh, drama. <laughs> but but back to your story here. Okay, so you got a guitar now. You've taught yourself stuff. You mm -hmm. don't want to go back to your own partner. You want to, although you like that experience, what you didn't want to rerun. You wanted to take it. So what's next? You you put so your, your poems to your guitar parts? 
Well, what I started doing was basically just, uh, I spent about a few years with a laptop and a DVD-ROM that had like basic guitar lessons on it. Yeah. And I spent a year or two learning chords. And then I just was learning covers just to learn to play. Then it just so happened that Dick Hearn, who was I was doing trench coat with, right. got wind of the fact that in Alaska, some radio station in Alaska was playing this trench coat manifesto CD. So he's like, wow, we haven't even been doing anything with it for like five years, and it's getting attention. I said, well, yeah, this is, this is a good thing we had. He said, so we started playing together, jamming at first uh, with the covers, but then we started bringing back uh, a, a more stripped-down version of it. Uh, and when, and when we, Dick, Dick was very musical, he could play lots of instruments? He could play a lot of instruments. He was very, he could do, uh, and, you know. And you also said multimedia. So did you guys have visuals too? Yeah, yeah. All kinds of like um, uh, like PowerPoint shows, little video clips, um, flashed on screens. That was during the first phase. Right, right. The second phase was much more stripped down. Uh, just basically me, uh, him playing whatever instruments he was playing and me doing vocals. Okay. And, um, oh, you, uh, weren't, you weren't you working your guitar in front of people yet? No, because I didn't have the confidence. Okay, okay. I still considered myself a novice. Sure, sure. And what I learned later was what you have to do is you got to get in front of people, and that makes you better. <laughs> like at that, first I had You know that what? Out. That's a great point. You know, I mean, you got to practice, right, with your guys. But the real practice is gigs. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's weird when you get in front of people and you learn that you can get away with it, you relax and all of a sudden you can go to the next level. It's like it's just really literally that, that, that like doorman you have to get past. Do you remember the first gig you played guitar in front of people? I do. It was a hot, hot day, uh, really muggy in August. And I played a Johnny Cash's uh, version of Danzig's 13. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and that was the first thing I ever did, and uh, I remember my fingers hurt <laughs> while I was doing it, you know, it's it really funny, I'm so nervous, you know, sure, but, sure. Uh, you know, and just about, within a year, I was, I was playing regularly. Wow, so to break the water, so to speak, it was just getting the colonies up to be a hard charger. Yeah, that was it, and then once I did that, all of a sudden, that was uh, that kind of broke me through some kind of barrier that I couldn't define. Now, now this ain't like some conceited. I'm the best. This is just just having the balls, right? Yeah, absolutely, I, I'm I'm far from the best. I'm 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 like I'm a pretty no, good I, rhythm. I, I, I just player. want the I, listeners I, to understand. It wasn't like you got all overconfident. You just got up enough cojones. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like like no. In fact, it it took me years. I, I would literally be like. Uh, shaking the entire time uh uh just inside and out um and, 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 and was, i'm curious what, what was dick's thoughts um well uh he was very reserved in that i never really knew his thoughts you know what i'm saying like he was kind of like this artiste who's off doing his own thing and i yeah, bring but in I, my... mean, I mean between phase one and phase two of trench coat you know uh he had nothing to say about it he just thought well this is the way it goes well, I'll tell you what, um, after about a year of that, he left. I mean, I, and I, or he rather, he just stopped. And, and, uh, and you know and, why? And, why is that? I don't know. That's why I'm asking. Oh, I thought you were, I thought you were asking. Like, posting, <laughs> no, I'm uh, still working on the mind reading, but you're going to have to use yeah, words. No, I, huh? you know, I, I, I probably have a billion theories, but I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't presume to know the mind of another man or woman. 
but, but you know what? Sometimes that is about people. Some people have to do it their whole lives. Other people, it's just a little part of their life. Then bye-bye. Yeah, exactly. And and that, that would be my assumption. I mean, I know for on my... I know that I got really extremely busy with my professional life. Like now I'm a musician. That's all I do. But at the time I worked for the man and had, I worked for the man for 30 years and so did he. And so I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I just, he just stopped. And I, okay, just, I was just curious. Look, we're at the end yeah. of the first hour, August 2nd, 2021 edition. Watt Pedro show special guest, Tom Adams. Hold tight for hour two. August 2, 2021. It's the second hour of the Watt for Pedro show.
show start off the second hour tom adams in the last resort might as well sell my soul and go work for jesus and we had spain that this is josh hayden veterans brother from uh fucking 25 years ago live in uh lisbon i lied calibos out of uh, Irvin, texas with wicked pests then slang from hokkaido the big north island japan huh where you want to be in the summertime because it's cool. <laughs> Rain in August. That's what they need in Tokyo right now. Man. Whew. I've been there. Mushiatsu. Not just hot, but the, the wet hot, huh? Owen P. Jones after that with the waves. Owen P. Jones out of Hamburg. And finally, Tom Adams in the last resort. It's not the open road. So, Tom, you give me all this music by Tom Adams in the last resort. When does the last resort ha- happen? The last resort happens in uh, 19... I'm sorry. I keep on... I'm, I'm stuck in the 20th century. Uh, <laughs> I'm a visitor from the 20th century. That's but, okay, uh, That's how I feel. Uh, in 20... Uh, what was it? Um, 15... No. Yeah, 2015, uh, I approached uh, a gentleman named Howard Mitzenmacher, and uh, who... who uh, that's a has great a, name. That is a great name. <laughs> The guy's a, a local legend. Uh, he really is. He's, he's an amazing guy. Uh, he, oh, Cle- I went up a Cleveland from, guy? A Cleveland guy, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's been active in the local scene for years and years and, and, and now does like a, a Bruce Springsteen tribute band called Swamps of Jersey, So, uh, which is what <laughs> he was doing when I met him, or not when I met him, but when I approached him to do this. And he was really super nice about it. He said, I like your, I like your songs. Um, and, uh, you know, he entered, he brought, uh, put to ba- together a band and one of the band members introduced me to a gentleman named Dave Manwolf. Dave Manwolf, 
uh, is a pr record producer and musician extraordinaire, probably the greatest musician I've ever known. He can play just about anything. He'll correct me on that. But as far as I'm concerned, he can do anything. And uh, uh, my latest album, in fact, is with the, the exception of a few noted songs, is me singing and playing acoustic guitar and him doing literally everything else. So, uh, so, so he, it's a duet. It is whatever ha whoever happens to be in the room at the time, a la oh, it's, it's, it's Hence the name, The Last Resort. The Last Resort, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because what happened was, see, I, I, was, I was born Tom Adams. Uh, I, I, my dad's side, we were descended from uh, Samuel Adams, Patriot Brewmaker. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, uh, but uh, but um, uh, my mom remarried when I was 10 uh, to a gentleman named Oliver Claypool. Excellent guy, right? Yeah. But in, in Michigan, the law at the time, I don't know how it is now, was that because my mom was divorced, I wasn't really her kid legally. I was a ward of the court in her custody. So once she got married, they could, if, if he adopted me and my siblings, then we would no longer be wards of the court in her custody. We would be their kids. You see, you had to be married to have kids, apparently, in Michigan at the time. So they named me Tom Claypool. I became Tom Claypool. Well, I hated this name because Les Claypool yeah, hadn't come around. I was going to say there's a bass player with that name. Exactly. And, and like I'm thinking, you know, everybody made fun. I, I, I'm not even going to tell you the names they use, but you, if you rhyme around with Claypool, you can come up with something pretty easily. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, you know, I detested the name. So when I started writing poetry, I started using Tom Adams because I thought it sounded more like a poet. Come to find, there's five trillion Tom Adams. <laughs> yeah. They're banjo players, they're painters, sucklers, <laughs> they're everything except what I do. So I add that and the last resort. So that's me. <laughs> okay, okay. And, and Dave and whoever else is with me. Tom, that makes perfect sense in my book, okay? Uh, look, <laughs> here's the tune you gave me. I'm the best.
that chunk of music, Tom Adams in the last resort, I'm the best. Then Tom Retchion, lean your eye into the picture. Incredible cat from the LA Free Music Society. I'm spending my summer vacation by Bad Flirt and Davey Von Bolin. Bad Flirt, uh, last guest, Jasmine. Uh, that was before she was no joy, she was Bad Flirt. She likes the two-syllable names. Then finally, Tom Adams in the last resort with From You Under Me. Tom, yeah. tell me about the process you use for, for making music with The Last Resort. Well, um, one of the things I like about being a songwriter, uh, the way I do it, is that I get the two-step. The first is completely me. It's, it's, I have total control over the construction and the layout and the words and the melody and, and just the chord structure and everything. And then once I, it's all mine completely, I turn it over to a bunch of relative strangers and they change everything about it. And <laughs> it's awesome. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, I have veto power, but as much as I use it, it's really surprising how little I use it. Um, these, so, uh, so it's like, uh, let me, let, let, Tell me if I'm on the right track here. It's like somebody going to the store and getting a bunch of grain and pasta, giving it to the cooks, and then they bake whatever they want out of it. It's You know what? That's a great analogy because, you know, even though I recognize what it is, it is so different from what I expect most of the time so, and usually ten so times better. In, in, a, in a trippy way, you have to relearn your stuff after they get a hold of it. Oh, yeah. Yes, I do. And I have to, you know, the fun part is I get to kind of like hear it almost as if I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> you know I mean? like, like, you know how we, you know how when you make a recording, sure, sure, sure. people can hear it the way it's supposed to be heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that must be a trip. Uh, kind of revelatory. Yeah. Yeah. So beforehand, when you're man alone. That's you and your like in your laboratory, your laboratory, whatever the fuck, and and then they get it, and then it's kind of a reacquaintance mission, right? right? Now, in fact, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that's all right. Do, before you go into the studio, do you test this out in front of people at gigs? Absolutely. 
by the time I take it into the studio, these songs have been played so many times you wouldn't believe it. I think that's the greatest idea because, man, like we were saying before, real practice gigs. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I, I've heard people say, you know, you don't want to play it too much before when you write something because uh, before you record it because it's not fresh and new. But let me tell you something. When you have the confidence to really sing and perform, what you do is, you, as a singer, you focus on the words as you're saying the words. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it. Right. If you focus on that words and, and experience it, force yourself to experience those words, it doesn't matter if you've done it a million times, it'll yeah. come out. Yeah. Well, you got to make them live for that moment or you're just sleepwalking. You're connecting dots, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and uh, I pride myself on not letting anybody sleep. <laughs> That's so great. Now, at the end of this process, do you find a lot of your words get scissored, or cut out? Um, only by me. Oh, only by you. Okay. Only by me, but they a lot gets cut. I am a bit. I, probably my. I always tell people my number one talent is editing. Well, I gotta tell you, with my bass parts, I always start out with too much, and I gotta get rid of too much absolutely or you'll come up with probably nine out of the ten things you come up with is just not gonna make it it's just not good enough but you find that thing and you you put aside everything that works and after a while you got a nice big pile right you know? now, a carpenter would tell you you don't want to remove too much material because it's very hard to put back but as you slowly go you find out about the right amount right so yeah yeah there, there's an art to it and and, and you think has it gotten easier for you the longer you've done it this way? Um, to be honest, uh, it came pretty easily when I started. What I find is that um, uh, I have more I, growing complexity, I guess is the word. I, I find that I'm, I guess I'm, I'm stretching a little more and trying things out a bit. But when I first started writing, uh, I think I wrote one song that was crap, and then the second song is on my second album. It's called She Couldn't Be With Me. Well, that's happening. You know, there's something about the first times you do something that's fresh and stuff. Maybe there's something to what those people are saying about recording, but I like playing it in front of people. We're at the end of the second hour of the August 2, 2021 edition. Watt Pedro Show special guest, Tom Adams. Hold tight for hour three. August 2, 2021. Third hour of the Watt Pedro Show. Things fall together Sometimes things fall apart Again He reads the note She penned By the light of the moon The whole world Silhouette in dreams and memories are broken pieces of a window. She condemned him with a kiss to that melancholy bliss. Now he's only left with this. Exquisite dilemma The shadows whisper 
her name, but they won't acknowledge me. Just a sad refrain from some pitiful zoo. He wakes on a city green where steam upscales the memories of a cruel, brutal, beautiful world. She condemned him with a kiss to that villain, Holly Blue. Now he's only left with this. Exquisite dilemma.
wife is lovely, but she don't love me. The heat we had is growing cold. So she asked if I would set her free. Cause life with me is getting pretty old. The shadows flicker in the light on this cold.
things that I'm grateful for is that like in the 90s, I was a poet. And in the 2000s, I was a, uh, a performance artist. And in the 2010s, and now I'm a songwriter and a, perform a musical performer. And so I've never allowed myself to get stagnant. You know, everything's new to me, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got to tell the people, we started the third hour off with Exquisite Dilemma, Tom Adams in the Last Resort. Then Port Sunshine with Hawaiian Wave out of Hamburg. Track one. This is Tollum with the Portland Improvisers from uh, August 10th, 2019. Turn, turn, turn. I played that pack. I think I donated a tuner. And finally, Broken Shards. What other kind of shards? <laughs> uh, no, when, like I always think when people say assless chaps. I mean, what other kind of chaps are there? <laughs> you mean there's chaps that have the ass? Okay. <laughs> hey, I needed to fill a what couple. You call stuff. that a double superlative? Yeah. Okay. More better. Yeah. Tom Adams in the last resort. T tell me about Broken Shards. Broken Shards uh, was literally one of those songs where I was driving my car down a windy country road. And this melody pops into my head, the, 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 um, the chorus, the, my baby loves me, don't you don't love me, that part. And that's all I had. And I could not, at the time, I didn't know how to play that music. I, I had the music in my head, but when I'd sit down with the guitar, I could not figure out what chord progression to use. Uh. And, uh, so I just basically sat on it for a, a couple of years, yeah, a couple of years. And then one day I just said, you know, you should really try that, you know, season. and I sat down and just boom, came up right that, you know, I figured out the chords like bada bing, bada boom. And Tom, then uh, Tom, let me ask you, how did, how did you remember? Do you, do you uh, speak it into a voice memo, like on a leash or a little tape recorder or do you... no, it was stuck in my head, just stuck in your head. Wow. It stuck in my head. It was like, it was on the radio or something like you ever hear, you know, you hear something and it just keeps repeating in your head. It was almost like I couldn't forget it. Right, right. Um, you know, and it was just so catchy to me. I thought it was just so catchy. I just couldn't forget it. You know. Now, I wanted to... you said you had the chorus. What about the verse? Did it elude you, or did? Uh, once I once I had the chorus figured out as far as how to play it on the guitar. Yeah. Then I just had to figure out the like music, and I figured out like what kind of chord progression would go between that. You know, those choruses. Right. And once I chords figured out. Then it became just a question of humming, the, you know, like what would the what would the melody be humming? And then once I have the melody humming, I literally just figure out, well, what would they say? You know, like like you just you fill in with the words. It's it's a really almost like a puzzle type process. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you do this thing called demos? Like you make uh, demonstration versions of these? Before? Yeah, first I make a scratch recording with my phone, just right. so I have. Uh, if, if I'm able to like, you know, and then, um, and then, yeah, I, I for a long time, I, I had this, uh, little, uh, eight track, uh, digital recorder that I got back in 2003. And just recently I went switched over to Reaper. So, but, um, uh, yeah, I used to make all my demos on that and then, uh, use those to, to play to people, uh, when, when we were recording and stuff. Yeah. That's to give them the, uh, ammunition to, uh, build the fucking next record okay um all i can think of is you i want to play that
suffer There are those for whom life has been cruel There are those who have known only hunger But all I can think of is you All I can think of
of the shadows in the cobwebs of her mind. She went waiting through the shadows to see what she could find. But lurking in the waters was a beast with ghastly claws. So I'm singing you a sonnet. To love that never was. He was brilliant. He was bashful. He was funny. He was wise. He was thoughtful. He was gentle. He was the apple of her. Used it just because. Now she's singing me a sonnet to a love that never was. Pedro Show, last music for this edition. Start that chunk off. All I could think of you, Tom Adams, in the last resort. Then we had Eric Slick with the Dirge. Papa Corona come dancing. This is egregious Phil, but this is Brother Phil with his uh, one of his uh, different aliases where he reinterprets. I think this is a Jeff Beck tune turned in. This is the flashing amber signal version, he says. And uh, Mammoth, the big bear. Be careful with the fires and stuff. Overall, after that brand new, I'm scared. And uh, Tom Adams in the last resort, finally, a love that never was. So, you know, being a poetry writer first, right? Yeah. You, 
you probably, yeah, got into this habit of collecting, you know, like a notebook full of poems, right? Do you have a po notebook full of saw, a lyrics that haven't uh, been actually, used yet? I don't. I don't, actually, which is really weird. I used to, when I was right, a, a poet in the 90s, yeah. I wrote, I'd go in the bathroom at work, I'd be writing, I'd be at the bus stop writing, I'd be on the bus writing, I'd be at home writing. Now, I, I don't write as much, but what I write tends to be better. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I, I guess I'm always writing in my head, but I'm ignoring most of it because I learned what's garbage. And then, but when I, something good comes into my head, then all of a sudden I, I hop to it and I write something and then I'm done. Well, For you, instance, were, you were saying something about, you figure yourself kind of an editor and you think those editing skills have gotten better and better. So you're like ahead of time cutting the wheat from the chafe. Exactly. Like before it even grows, it's like I start, I, I get an idea and I go, nope. <laughs> oh, this is great. Nope. You know, and then finally yeah, I'll come up with something good. And uh, with you, and then, like, is it the words that come first and then you bring the music? It did, it was for most of the songs I wrote, but recently yeah. it's been switching. Oh. Uh, the last song you played, A Love That Never Was, is a perfect example of that. I was uh, playing around with finger picking a little bit because I've always just strummed. Uh, and um, I came up with the chords for that, kind of gently picking it. And it sounded like a really beautiful, delicate melody. And I've been playing with it almost like an exercise to learn how to do this finger pick, uh, picking that I was doing. And um, uh, at, at a certain point, it was a Saturday morning. Um, I said, you know, I should probably write words to this. This is pretty enough that I should write words. And literally within three hours, I wrote it, uh, like the words to it, without thinking about it beforehand or anything. I literally had to look up. I, I came up with the line, a love that never was. And then I had to look up words that rhymed with was, because apparently there's only like four of them. <laughs> or three of them. And I had three of the four. Uh, so <laughs> it was almost like a weird exercise, you know. I had to, I had to work within these constraints, but still write some, uh, a lyric that I felt would be worthy of that melody, you know. So It seems like the process kind of, yeah, like you said, it switched around. Now it's on demand. Like, here's music. Now I come up with words instead of the other right. way around. Yeah. And I wish it was, I wish it wasn't. I really wish that I was like creative all the time. I wish I was constantly writing things down, but I just, you know, I've become so, I, I have to like divide it between the music now and the business, you know. I there, gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, you know, maybe you've heard this before, but my pop told me you can wish in one hand and you can shit in the other and you tell me which one fills up first. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so there you go. Dad is a wise man. <laughs> so where can people find you on the internet, Tom? Well, they can find me on Spotify. They can find me anywhere you can download music. No, what I mean is, is there a Tom Adams website? Well, there you, there is. Um, at the moment, it's not fully up, but right now you can find me at Tom Adams and the Last Resort dot here now dot com okay spell now, that whole that, thing because some people i remember the adams family there was two d's right that's right it's t-o-m-a-d-a-m-s uh and a-n-d the last resort t-h-e-l-a-s-t-r-e-s-o-r-t -E -E dot here now as in hear this h-e-a-r-n-o-w dot com so it's tom adams at the lat and the last resort dot here now 
com. I'm going to actually get a Tom Adams and the Last Resort.com website, but what this will eventually do once my album is released on October 2nd, um, it will provide links to every single... October uh, 2nd. Okay, that's an important day. Yeah, yeah, and before that, if you go to that website, uh, you can hear the entire album for free in its entirety. Okay, people, and we played a lot here today, too, yep. so uh, can't wait to hear more out of you, Tom. Again, I want to thank John, Miss Melvis from the Thank you, John. Thank Decimal you. System. Yeah, for making this connect and you coming on the show and sharing some of your musical journey with us, Tom. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. People, it's been August 2, 2021, Dish and Walk, Peter Show. Keep your powder dry. <laughs>